The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the race for the Republican presidential nomination on the eve of the New Hampshire primaries. He's endorsed frontrunner Donald Trump. DeSantis' bid for the White House failed to meet expectations despite early polls suggesting he was in a strong position to take on Trump. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, that was big news, wasn't it? I was watching some football the other day. And I checked my news feed, and I'm like, what? DeSantis is out, two-person race. You know, I think uh, most pundits, and I think just about everybody know that it's going to be a two-person race, ultimately, between the president and Joe Biden. Nikki Haley is going to give it a shot, and we'll see how she fares in New Hampshire, South Carolina. But it's a delegate race. Trump is going to win it. He's got major endorsements, too. Uh, you probably have heard that um, Tim Scott, uh, endorsed him, and, and Haley's the one who actually nominated him for Senate. So, um, God bless, God, God bless uh, our country, right? God bless it. We are in for a ride. It's going to be a whirlwind. It's going to be crazy. Um, I don't know. I just want, I just want peace. <laughs> you know, I want some stability. You know, I want my kids to be able to. To, to grow up in a country where there's there's safety, right? Where there's sanity, where there's protection for life, where you can afford your groceries and the gas for your car. Um, it's 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 pretty wild where we are right now. But um, you know, the Florida governor, I thought he did a great job when he when he stepped down. He suspended his campaign, and um, he's. Uh, I liked what he said. He, he, we don't have audio on this, so we, Maggie, let me know if we have any audio you want to throw to in terms of his um, uh, of his speech because he actually talked about. He basically recognized the fact that most voters wanted Trump. Here's what uh, Governor DeSantis had to say. Over the past many months, Casey and I have traveled across the country to deliver a message of hope that decline is a choice and that we can, in fact, succeed again as a nation. Nobody worked harder, and we left it all out on the field. Now, following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. I thought his concession speech was great. I, I, I do. He called out Trump for, for Fauci and COVID. And, and DeSantis really led Florida in a powerful way during COVID. I mean, they were real uh, examples of how to handle the pandemic. Uh, but he was also a man of, of prayer. He said he and his family prayed about this. He's also a man of life. 
right? I mean, he had the most pro-life position out of any of those candidates. You want a pro-life president? You want somebody who's saying, hey, this is the way it's got to be? DeSantis was the guy. You know, I would assume in 2024, uh, 2024, in 2028, in the next presidential elections, if you and I are around for that, uh, who knows, right? Um, he's going to be, he'll be a, a front runner, perhaps in that race. Would Trump choose DeSantis as a VP? Would he choose Ramaswamy or, or Haley or is he somebody else? Trump says, um, you know, uh, his, his his pick's not going to be surprising. So we'll see. We'll see who it'll be. I don't know. Anyway, Trump, of course, um, had very little time for DeSantis. He belittled him, called him desanctimonious, gave him one of those monikers, right? Uh, yeah. and that's the problem I have with Donald Trump, to be honest with you. I, I mean, it's like, why? I mean, do you, why do you have to do that? Why do you have to be a, a juvenile? You know, and, and come up with these mocking nicknames, right? I get it. Yeah, crooked Hillary seemed to fit at the time, right? There's certain ones that seemed to work. But what do you do to Marco Rubio and to so many other people? Uh, you know, they they seem to stick for some reason. I mean, it's a child in all of us. I I, I don't know. Um, DeSantis was doing well against Trump until the first indictment got handed down against the former president. After that, Trump's ratings went up, and every indictment thereafter, he just continued to go up. But Trump did dial it back. So he's calling, you know, Nikki names. He's calling DeSantis names right now. Uh, even Ramaswamy a little bit. But um, when they endorse him, suddenly the tune changes. Here's Donald Trump. Before we begin, I'd like to take time to congratulate Ron DeSantis and, of course, a really terrific person who had gotten to know his wife, Casey, for having run a great campaign for president. He did. He ran a, a really good campaign, I will tell you. It's not easy. They think it's easy doing this stuff, right? It's not easy. But as you know, he left the campaign trail today at 3 p.m., and in so doing, he was very gracious, and he endorsed me, so I appreciate it. I appreciate that, and I also... Look forward to working with Ron and everybody else to defeat crooked Joe Biden. We will have to get him out. We have to get him out. Well, there you go. I'll tell you his uh, his delivery. It, it does make you laugh. Maggie was saying to me off off mic that she thought it was a uh, a deep fake that it was uh, open your mic bag because it's so funny when you first heard that that delivery and the way he was saying that stuff. She thought it wasn't uh, it wasn't really Trump. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, I know that AI is like a thing now. And when I saw, uh, like, Trump thanking DeSantis for concession, conceding, mm -hmm. I was like, that's that's got to be somebody just making that up, yeah, right. right? It's funny. His delivery just kills me. Uh, Nick's in Chicago. Nick, good afternoon. Hi, Drew. Um, hey, Nick. Yeah, I don't think I could, uh, I, I could vote for Trump again. I voted for him twice before, but uh, I was a... a DeSantis supporter, and uh, Trump was disparaging of DeSantis's Italian heritage. You would call him meatball. So I don't think I could vote for that slob Trump. <laughs> so let me ask who you're going to vote for then. If it comes down ultimately in the generals to, let's just say it's Biden, Trump, are you going to go Biden then in that case? Oh, boy. It's going to be a lesser of two evils thing, uh, I suppose. I might even sit it out. I, I, I honestly don't know at this point, but... Um, I really thought uh, DeSantis was the guy who delivered on what Trump talked about. Trump was an empty suit yeah. uh, full of hot air. 
And it's just really unfortunate that we're deprived of that choice now. Yeah, you know, personally, I, I, I love DeSantis. I did, too. I thought he, I thought he, was, uh, he was rock solid on a lot of those positions that are important to me. Um, I, 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 Nick, I, where are you calling from? You're Chicago. So you, you live in a pretty blue state there. So um, right. it, it's, it's tough. If, um, if you lived in a swing state, would it be different? Would you vote? Uh, you know, I, I just, I really hate the choices that we seem to be left with. It's, it's a, it's a redux of the last one. And it's just, (laughs) it's just like, you know, how about this angle too? So Trump lost to Biden last time. Now, did he really lose? I'm not convinced he really lost, but you know, regardless, he he lost. So we're going to put this, you know, so, so he's been out of office. We've had a, a, a a Democrat for president and we had all three, uh, branches of government democrat initially you don't think it's going to be like uh, uh, harder for them to uh, to steal the election again i mean you know it, it's ridiculous you, you know i'm is. actually gonna i'm actually gonna do a, a a program on election integrity because there's some new video evidence that has recently come up that i just saw and i know a candidate in in the state of illinois um uh, who really feels like um the election had been rigged for her. She ran, I think, for U.S. Senate uh, in the area here. I'm going to reach out to her again and get her on it because I think it's an important question to look at. I mean, again, the optics of the last election were just just crazy. You have Donald Trump who has flotillas and parades and people lining up for night, all night into the morning to attend a rally for days, right? I mean, thousands and thousands of people coming on. You see a Joe Biden rally and there were 200 people that – Came out honking their their, their cor- you know the the horns of their car, and it's just like he was in his basement and never left. And yet he had more votes than Barack Obama, which set the country on fire. It, it is a little weird, you know. It is a little bit weird. Um, I, I really want to take a look at election integrity coming up. But Nick, thank you for for calling. I know it's a challenge for you. It's going to be a challenge for a lot of people. My position when it comes to the vote, it's always about um, never choosing evil, but mitigating it if we can do that. So what candidate um, would your vote go to that would uh, would limit evil the most? Um, when it comes to Biden and his campaign, and I'm not telling anyone how to vote, uh, you know, Relevant Radio's, you know, a, a nonprofit, we're not here to endorse or, or condemn candidates. I know people get crazy when I say that, but, um, you, you know, I'm here to help you form your conscience, to look at the principles, um, and then to look at the policies of a lot of these different candidates, the the Biden reelection campaign, they're going all in. They're going all in on abortion. It is the number one issue. They, they ran on the midterms and it worked. I, I saw somebody the other day talking about it and saying, oh, this the, every election where life was was key. I think it was, was a Democrat. Maybe it was the DNC chairman or whoever it was. I forget who where I saw this. It was a, an audio clip somewhere. Um, abortion won. Every place, they said. So, yeah, they're all in. Reuters reported that uh, President Biden is going to convene a, a reproductive rights task force meeting at the White House. And Vice President Kamala Harris kicks off a national tour on abortion rights out of the state of Wisconsin. Again, I'm going to say this publicly. Shame on you, Joe Biden. Shame on you, Kamala Harris. Joe Biden is a professed Catholic. But he's not in communion with the Catholic faith. Anybody who advances a culture of death like this administration is not in communion with, with, with our faith. The theme that the Republicans are out, you know, to, 
to limit access to abortion, that they're putting out ads, try to convince suburban women that they're going to be forced to travel long distances to have an abortion. If Republicans take control, your rights are going to be taken away, and they're going to run these ads at these poor little girls who are victims of rape or incest, and you're going to look at it, and it's going to make you want to throw up, and people are going to say, I need to protect that girl's right. Pro-abortion groups are collecting signatures right now in Arizona and in Nevada and Florida. They want to amend their state's constitution to allow abortions up to birth. So I say to you, my brothers and my sisters, as you get ready to vote in what is an incredibly important election, not just for the future of our country and our economy, but for life, and we're talking about state constitutions here being amended, you've got to, you have got to make sure that at the top of your pyramid, when you take a look at this, Citizens have the right to life. It's an inalienable right. We have a right to life, to liberty, and the uh, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what our founding fathers have said. Uh, Patty is in Glenview, Illinois. How much time do I have, Maggie? I know I got to change gears here. I know a lot of people want to talk. All right, Patty. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I just was calling in to say I am an election judge in Illinois, mm-hmm. and I can tell you the mar- the opportunity to cheat is rampant. Wow. Um, they have to get away. They have to get rid of mail-in ballots because I agree with you. It, it's the opportunity for fraud and cheating is rampant. And, um, uh, you know, I, I've seen it like for years. Um, the, they delay the election uh, results and then they figure out how much they need to make up. That's just so wild. And, and you are in Illinois and, and right. you're actually right outside uh, of Chicago. Yeah, but it's, it's that's wild. I really want to do a show. I have to do a show on this. I really want to look into it. And I, Patty, I hope you'll call back when I when I address this issue. If you're tuned in that day, I'll try to make an announcement. Let people know we're going to talk about it. What do you make of the last election? I mean, do you think it's possible well, that the election w- was was stolen or somehow the Dems have figured out a way to to uh, I don't know no put a question. thumb on the scale? No question. Um, Trump was way way ahead. Yeah, I know. When everybody, you know, at the end of the night, he was way, way ahead. And then all the results come in the next day. They just, with mail-in ballots, you can just run machines all night and just do bogus uh, um, uh, names and voter registration. For example, Kathy Salvi, who you referred to, who ran for Senate, day of, day of election, she beat the incumbent. She only lost by a very narrow margin. But again, you can manufacture when you delay the results. You just see how much you have to make up. Yeah, I, I want to bring Kathy in. I'll get her in studio here to talk about it. Because I had uh, dinner with her and her husband one night. And uh, they were sharing with me, um, uh, you know, just uh, how this thing went down. And uh, she says, this is a small, this is a small little county, I think, that she lost or whatever it was. But it's really a microcosm of of the country and they could do it here. What's to say you can't do it everywhere else. So I mean, it's such a divisive issue though. People are so divided on it. Um, hey, Patty, thank you. Please call in again. Thank okay. You. I really look forward to diving into that issue uh, in greater detail. I appreciate your perspective and your service. I, I really do. Um, there's gonna be a lot of time to talk about this uh, in the future. <laughs> you know, we are months from the election and, and I will dive into that. And of course, New Hampshire primaries are underway. We'll give you a, breakdown on them throughout the week, et cetera. But I also want to talk about religious liberty in the country here. I talked about life. You've know, been hearing a lot of attacks about religious liberty 
uh, around the world. This is something else that that I, I'm trying to be a voice for. You know, I, I follow international news. I know here in the States we don't get as much as a lot of our European brothers and sisters. You travel overseas, you know, you, you get a global look. But uh, we're seeing places like Nigeria and India and Nicaragua. There's terrible religious persecution going on right now. But what about here in the States? Right? Of course, the first liberty that our Constitution protects is what? It's the right to religious liberty. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. But as we know, that doesn't stop people from wanting to try to do that, especially the second half of that, prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And we've seen that time and time again, we got cases like the Little Sisters of the Poor, or the Masters Cake Designer, you know, Jack Phillips, those cases. But what do Americans think of religious liberty? You know, what, 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 well, let me rephrase that. What, what do Americans think of religious people living out their faith in everyday life? The Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty has been doing a survey for the past five years, and they're trying to take the temperature, put their finger on the pulse, you know, look at the uh, what Americans are thinking on this issue. And, and the problem we face right now is that the media, right, they're pushing a very strong narrative that people who do practice their faith, especially if you practice it in line with traditional Christianity, you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. You are part of the problem. I'm joined right now by uh, Derringer Dick. He's a strategic research associate at Beckett, and uh, his research work has supported a lot of Beckett's major cases since he joined back in 2015, and it's really great to have him with us today. By the way, you can check them out, BeckettLaw.org. BeckettLaw.org is her website. Uh, Derringer, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service, too. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. So this report, it shows a 69 out of 100. Uh, break that down for those who are listening. Tell me a little bit about the report and, 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 and what those numbers reflect. Sure. So every year we do a poll of a, a thousand people. So we got a very good sample size and we ask them the same questions every year. We've got 21 questions that we ask every year. And that, like you said, is kind of taking the temperature of Americans, their attitude towards religion, towards people of faith, towards various you know uh, questions about where law and policy, government, the public square, where those interact. We also ask different questions year to year to kind of, you know, get a get a feel for what's going on in particular hot topics. So like this year, we ask a lot of questions about parental rights. And that number you asked about 69, you know, basically the question is, you know, you, you kind of you want to put a number on it. Right. And so if you think of zero as, you know, no priority is given to religious liberty, it's something that's, you know, kind of looked down on, not really on anyone's radar at all. People are opposed to it. And 100 is being, you know, like completely healthy, the most robust opinions about religious freedom of people of faith. Um, you know, a, a 69 is, uh, you know, that, that's where we're at in terms of we're, we're about, you know, two-thirds of the way into where, where we want to be, if that makes sense. It's a, it's a good score. It's the best score we've gotten so far. You know, the other thing I might take away from looking at your study is that by large, you know, by, by large, you found out that, you know, Americans are tolerant people. You know, the, your approach to the survey was to look at individual Americans. But, you know, uh, you found you know, Americans are tolerant of people who have a religious point of view. Um, where's that number going? Is that changing today? Is that going up, going down, holding steady? Where is that? 
that's going up. So we have within this report, we have, as you, you know, alluded to, we have these six different dimensions that kind of talk about this different area of religious liberty, like religious pluralism, which is asking questions like, yes, how tolerant are you of other ideas and beliefs about God? And what we've seen is that that number has, has consistently been increasing, uh, which, you know, obviously is a good thing. That's the most you know, basic uh, part of religious liberty, right? That's, yeah. you know, kind of the cornerstone of American religious freedom, you know, whether it's the, the Quakers or, uh, you know, the Pilgrims yeah. or, uh, you know, Maryland, for example, and, and the, uh, the Catholic seeking toleration there. And so that's something that's been very excited to watch as we've been doing this since 2019, is to see that number steadily, uh, you know, yeah. uh, increase. You know, it really struck me uh, in this thing, and and I think a lot of people and I'm one of these people who say, oh, you know, religious persecution in the United States will never take place. You know, this is the land of the free, and we're a land of liberty and, and principle. On the same day that your report came out, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops issued a report on religious liberty, and they warned that believers' lives could be at stake this year. Um, help me understand that. Help us understand that rather drastic difference in tone between these two reports, what are the bishops saying? What are they saying? And and how does it differ? We're becoming more tolerant. Uh, why is this a reality? Well, I think you know. I think I think it's worth pointing out that that our polling is looking at the sum of Americans' attitudes. Yeah. And so I think you can have a situation where the vast majority of Americans are very tolerant, but you can still have an you know an intolerant minority. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been a problem I think throughout uh, American you know history, American, you know, religious liberty history, is you can have these intolerant movements, even if the vast majority of people are, you know, pro um, religious liberty. Uh, but, I, you know, regardless of that, I think that, that when you look at our results, um, you know, you'll see that e- even for um, minorities, um, you know, like, like uh, Native Americans who yeah. are often part of that problematic part of American history, yeah. um, you get you get good support. You know, this year we got almost three quarters of Americans uh, supporting Native American sacred sites, even when they were told that you know, hey, the we, we want to destroy this Native American sacred site so that uh, you know we can build this mine and get copper to build right. electric cars and produce jobs. You still see Americans come out swinging and say, no, right. you know, we need to stand by our principles there. So you know, the other thing is that Christians in the country say they don't feel accepted within society like they once did. Are things changing towards those who hold, you know, the belief of Christianity? You know, that's a good question. I think that it would be good to sometimes you. It's good to sort of observe a trend over time, and so that's something that I would like to you know, yeah. watch more closely. But what mm-hmm. we found is that um, actually the the group that are that are feel the least accepted in in society is actually non Christian people of faith. But what we found is that this year, compared to last year, there was a huge drop among Christians, um, thinking that they were feeling like they were accepted by society. And so it'll be interesting to see. That's something that, you know, I'd like to check in again next year and be like, is this a continuing trend? Or did something very specific happen in 2023 that caused this drop? And, you know, next year, maybe Americans will feel more optimistic. Christians will feel more optimistic about that. Just one one more question here, one more thought. you also asked about the role of parents in raising their children and the use of preferred pronouns in schools. Uh, that has really become, you know, an epidemic today in, in, in our schools. I wonder if that's going to change. How did those questions fare? What kind of responses are you getting or attitudes changing towards those as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that was one of our most interesting findings this year 
we ask a question in 2021, what do you know? You think about preferred pronoun policies, which is where a school comes down and says, hey, you have to address someone by their preferred pronouns. And last year, or not last year, 2021, there was majority support for that opinion. Mm-hmm. And this year, that's actually uh, switched. We had a 12-point swing, which let me just tell you is very significant over you know just a couple of years. Um, now, 58% of Americans are opposed to those public uh, you know, pronoun policies. And then we ask a couple of different questions about opt-outs and, and between, depending on the question and the reasons given, you know, between two thirds and yep. about three quarters of Americans say that they believe in parental opt-outs. So again, strong support for, I think, parental rights. Yeah, well, it's well said. Hey, thanks for your work, uh, Derringer. Delighted. If people want to read uh, or get plugged into it, what's the best way to go? Just to beckettlaw.org or how would they uh, get connected? Yes. yes, you can go to beckettlaw.org slash index. That sounds great. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. Keep up your good work. We'll talk again soon, okay? Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, Derek. Uh, Derringer Dick is a strategic research associate at Beckett, and you know, he worked on some major cases, uh, Zubik v. Burwell, uh, Fulton v. Philadelphia, and he's their primary researcher there. And Religious liberty is something I want to continue to keep in uh, in front of me and hopefully in front of you to make sure it's protected and doesn't fall prey to that slippery slope, right? That chip, chip, chip. It is uh, almost bottom of the hour. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll mix it up a little bit too. Um, stay with me. Our conversation will continue. Your news. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Your news now. Here's the real takeaway. The censorship industrial complex was bigger than we thought. It wasn't just big government working with big tech to limit your speech and limit tweets and posts on Facebook. It was big government, big universities and big tech all working together. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, that was uh, Jim Jordan. Congressman Jim Jordan there. This is, I, I will get you plugged into another story here. I think it's worth you hearing about and get you uh, up to speed on what is happening with the feds using bank trans transactions actually to target conservatives. It's crazy. Those words coming out of my mouth. I'm like, that sounds like something I'd hear in Russia, right? Under communism, um, China, North Korea, not not the United States of America. Really? Yeah. Under our fourth amendment of the constitution, right? You have this right to be secure, it says, in your person, your houses, your papers, and effects against unreasonable you know, searches and seizures, and that shall not be violated. So the government, they can't take a look at your things without properly issuing a warrant. They can't come to your home and search unless they have a warrant to do that, right? And it's justified. That's been a staple of the American way of life, you know, even before the American Revolution, if you think about it. Uh, but but since September 11th, things changed when those towers were hit and the war on terrorism erupted. Uh, the government has felt freer to do surveillance on its people without a, uh, uh, a properly issued warrant. The, the latest example has been provided by Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio. He actually chairs a House subcommittee on the weaponization of government. And he revealed that after the Capitol riot in um, well, on January 6th in 2021, the federal agency called the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network uh, and had told financial institutions, you know, they can be scanning you know, customers' purchases for keywords like MAGA and Trump. Listen, he'll explain a little bit more about what the banks are doing. Yeah, at the request of government, you got banks searching private transactions of their customers for key search terms, keywords. 
it looks like without any warrants, without any legal process. And what were those keywords they were searching? Uh, did they purchase religious texts? Did they shop at Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop? Did, were they purchasing a firearm? I mean, it, I mean, you, you go through this, that pretty much describes uh, the, the vast majority of the people in the fourth district that I get the privilege of representing. Uh, this is financial surveillance at its worst, it looks like to us. Uh, we're just getting into this, we're gonna do uh, transcribed interviews, depositions, we're going to get documents, we're going to find out how extensive this was, but it looks like big government, big corporations working together. It's, it's hard for me to get my head around it, really. Um, you go to Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop, um, your name goes into a database. And Maggie and I were talking about this earlier, she says it's actually quite clever. It's the way they can skirt around the NRA and they can still get your name. Uh, they were even looking for religious text, really. So uh, the feds got a document from the key bank. It told the feds how the bank does surveillance of their customers for possible terrorist connections. And this, of course, is a just, a, in my opinion, a massive violation of our Fourth Amendment. They're telling the private sector, hey, look through your customers' purchases. Find even remote possibilities of them breaking the law. You know, and then, of course, they were profiling certain people, people who well, may have a conservative outlook. I don't know what your outlook is. Maybe you went there and maybe you're in the database. I'm certainly glad that Congressman Jordan, who is such a flamethrower, isn't he? I mean, he's such a straight arrow. I mean, this guy calls it out. Um, you know, he, he's on top of it. But, you know, this is something that the Justice Department should have been taken care of, right? That's not that's not what we're seeing right now. I hope things change. Uh, I've invited Jake Denton, who's a research associate in the uh, Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation, to give us some perspective on it today, and he's stopping by now. Jake, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I, I find this um, just incredible. I mean, the Fed's telling financial <laughs> institutions to be on the lookout. Uh, you know, look, look at your customers' transactions for lawful purchases, uh, and, and see what you can find. I mean, these are lawful purchases. Has there been any reaction to this beyond what's being reported in, let's say, conservative media or the conservative press? And how has places like Bass and Cabela and other re responded to it? Yeah, you know, it's really appalling to think that in today's world, you could be at the store and you have to worry about the contents of your shopping cart potentially alerting the FBI that you could be an active shooter. Um, you know, this is... Uh, hunting season, you know, you could be just filling up your cart at uh, Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's, as Congressman Jordan mentioned, and suddenly be flagged as a potential terrorist. And I think the really concerning element of this is that it could have long-term consequences for your life, whether it's proven to be true or not. Just merely existing inside of some of these databases could result in a flag on your FBI background check, could result in potentially tipping you over the scales to be on the no-fly list. And what is your path to recourse? You know, if you're just the average American, as Congressman Jordan said, living in his district, you know, what are you really going to do if the government comes down on you for that? And really all for nothing. And as a private citizen, you might not even know what got you flagged. There is no right for them to, uh, you know, ask to present what the case was necessarily that put you on this list or got you flagged. Uh, but, you know, to answer your question, uh, there's really been no coverage of this outside of the conservative outlets and uh, really beyond the kind of typical press conference reaction from congressional members. There doesn't even really seem to be a legislative will to address this. So 
uh, it's very concerning because, as we all know from the Twitter files, this happens through various different mediums. It's not just financial services, but it's big tech as well. Your social footprint is all merged together, and it seems as though we're sleepwalking into a social credit system. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's kind of a scary thought. You see what's happening in China, right? It's the last thing that we uh, we, we want here. Um, where, where is, when it comes to this case, I'm sitting back here, and I'm thinking, you know, this is a violation of the Fourth Amendment. Where's the Justice Department in this? Yeah, well, you know, it seems as though they really are somewhat complicit in these types of endeavors. Uh, it seems as though the government, the Biden administration, picked out a very particular type of person that they'd like to surveil, and they found the indicators to uh, essentially target them, right? So they want that type of consumer who's frequenting a Bass Pro Shop or a Cabela's under the microscope. They want that person who's making Zelle transactions around the time of January 6th in Washington, D.C. to be monitored, and they just found a means to do it. Um, and it seems as though the Justice Department uh, is totally okay with this type of behavior um, because, let's be honest, it's the type of person the Justice Department wants surveilled as well. They're all somewhat in cahoots in this grand operation, right, to make sure that uh, the kind of MAGA American, the one that Jim Jordan describes, uh, isn't allowed to live their life uh, without fear that, you know, that the contents of their shopping cart or their uh, direct message inbox on Twitter could result in them behind bars, right? Like that is ultimately the uh, fear that they want us living with. Uh, and they're just trying to find creative ways to get there. Yeah. If you want to join us, you can dial in at uh, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Taking a look at the feds using your bank transactions to possibly target you. So when I sit back, I, I wonder, you know, is there any recourse um, what kind of legal action does this open up to these financial institutions? Could somebody say, hey, you don't have a right to do that. I'm going to sue you. Um, is it a violation of their fourth? And, and can the financial institution be held accountable or even the store? Well, I think we definitely need to see a challenge in some legal fashion to this type of operation. It's the only way to get them a little bit nervous. Yeah. Uh, but the average person who's included on this list probably is completely unaware that they're included on the list. Um, and that's what's really unique about this is you could have been flagged mm -hmm. and surveilled and monitored for months at a time and have no idea um, until you really push the limits of this, you know, depending on how high you've been elevated in their risk profile, maybe you never find out, you know, maybe you never get put on the no-fly list, but it still exists in some folder in some government office that you're a person of interest. And so until there's essentially like a list available or a way for you to request to see if you were included in this list, it might be hard to find someone to even present a legal challenge. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, it sounds like the Biden administration, um, you know, getting social media companies to, to violate people's First Amendment rights to speech. Have you heard about that? What does this cooperation between the government and the private sector in, in squelching people's constitutional rights portend if we have, let's just say, four more years of the current administration? Do you think we'll see see more of this? Yeah, you know, uh, in that sound clip, Jim Jordan talked about how the censorship industrial complex has really ballooned to a scale that's really just hard to even grasp. You know, it seems to be everywhere. Um, and there really is no sign of this slowing down. 
Uh, obviously, we had Elon Musk purchase Twitter, and now it's X, and things seem to have gotten moderately better. But when you consider the broader ecosystem, everyone seems to still be compliant with the whims of the Biden administration, right? I mean, uh, whether it be election misinformation or things regarding COVID censorship, things of that nature, uh, everyone seems to be willing to go along with the kind of top-down orders from the White House. And so uh, four more years would be four more years if of the same, if not worse, types of censorship and surveillance. Yeah, got it. Uh, one final thought here, too, and then I'll take a few calls. You can join us, 888-914-9149. If this has been going on, right, without our knowledge for about three years, and again, I'm just wondering, what else? as a government doing, you know, with, with the assistance of the private sector that we're not aware of. Um, you think there's more to come? You think we'll learn more or do you think it's, it's limited to this? I think that it is probably, you're right. I think it is probably far worse than anyone could possibly imagine. Uh, I think what a lot of people are kind of failing to grasp here is how everything kind of becomes interconnected, right? I think uh, we view the surveillance of your financial transaction as independent of the surveillance of your social media footprint. Uh, but in reality, I think a lot of these things are being merged together for a more comprehensive profile on the average American. Yeah. And, you know, that is that social credit system we were discussing. Yeah. And um, I think that's the, the question yeah. for the future is, does it become a formalized social credit system? Boy, it's a scary thought. I, I, don't, I don't know if everyone understands um, what a social credit score would mean to people. I mean, you take a look at what's happening in China right now. You can't fly. Your kids can't go to certain schools. I mean, you can't get insurance or rent cars. It's crazy what that could portend. And, and I have great faith in this country. Uh, I really hope, Jake, that we never see that. So uh, we're trying to do our part to be vigilant and make people aware. Thank you for all that you do here. I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm up against the clock, so I need to take a break in a moment here. But if people want to learn more, where's the best place to go? Heritage? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Real J Denton or, uh, you know, the Heritage website. Just search my name and you can see our writings there as well. Sounds great. Hey, thank you, Jake. Appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having uh, me. You got it. It's Jake Denton. Check him out at Heritage. Follow him on Twitter, too. He is a research associate in the Tech Policy Center there at the Heritage Foundation. Let me grab a call or two for you, too, and we can talk. Uh, Joe is in Mesa, Arizona. Hi, Joe. Hello, Drew. Uh, you know, I'm Catholic. I'm not no uh, converted Catholic or nothing. Born and ra uh, raised Catholic, baptized from the get go. So, but uh, you know what? I'm getting sick and tired. You and Patrick and the rest of you. Why don't you change your name from Relevant Radio to Republican Radio Station? All you do is <laughs> Trump. Trump. I love Trump it. is a convicted. Trump is a convicted rapist. Jim Jordan did not turn in the doctor that was abusing those young men at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And yet you want to find uh, uh, trouble with Biden and, and his son. When, when Trump's kids are making money off of China with their patents. Hey, Joe, I'm just uh, talking about religious liberty. I'm talking about religious persecution. No, 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 I'm talking no, I'm talking about life. That's what I'm talking and, about. No, you're, not. You're, you're pushing the Republican agenda. You're pushing Trump. Like I said, he's a convicted ra rapist. He, he's a, he said, yeah, this wouldn't have happened in Ukraine. Of course not. He would have handed Ukraine to the Russians. Yeah. And the thing is that you're saying that we're, that conservatives are, are, are being uh, uh, singled out at the ammo uh, where you buy your weapons and all that. Yeah. It's, a, it's a contrary to that. It's a, the minority that they check out. Most, most, most of these uh, gun shops are owned in and run by by uh, even if it's a minority, I don't want my Fourth Amendment violated. 
No, no, it was not. But it's all right for Trump to violate ours. What did he say? He's going to be a dictator. No. The first time. Do you really believe that? He, he ran. Look, I'm not I'm not going to be an apologist for Donald Trump because you can vote for whoever you want. And I want people to, to vote for the candidate that they think will best advance the causes of life and liberty in this country. But, you know, he had four years. He didn't run as a dictator, did he? What? He, he, ran he, he didn't run as a dictator. He didn't run as a dictator. He's talking about assassinating or killing his generals that don't fall in line because they didn't go. Joe, I, I, I appreciate your call. I, I do. It's good to talk with you. I'm glad you're listening. And I'm in good company if, if you're disenchanted with Patrick and and me. i got a lot of respect for my colleague Patrick here. Um, keep listening. We'll keep talking. I mean, it's great to be able to share different views, right? Uh, that's the beauty of of talk radio. And it's the beauty of, uh, of what we do here at relevant radio, you know, and again, uh, I'll put a quick disclaimer out relevant radio doesn't endorse any of these candidates, right? We are not here to be, uh, a propaganda arm of the Republican party, nor the democratic party. My, what I do here, and you can hold me accountable to it. Um, I, I want to speak truth every day. I want to be honest with you about these things. And I want to apply the lens, the light of our faith on these issues. Like the the like just war or uh, the right to migrate or a nation's ability to have a sovereign border or when it comes to life to highlight when candidates really violate things that are not in communion with uh, with our particular faith and uh, you know yeah I'll say it again you're gonna hear me say it a lot the Biden administration uh, clearly is camping out on advancing a culture of death and um, if you agree with that then that's really where we part ways, unfortunately. And I'll, I'll have to pray for you. I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk more. If you want to join us, feel free to join me, okay? 888-914-9149, 888 uh, We'll take more calls. And, of course, I'm going to share a little something that um, I think, uh, well, something St. Faustina encountered that helped her deal with uh, something that happened on this day. So stay with me. We go there. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. The Chaplet of Divine Mercy, live, coming up. You're listening to The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, we'll pray the chaplet coming up in just a few moments here. I think there's one line open if you want to sneak in. It's uh, 888-914-9149. We're also... I'm taking a few calls, just taking a look at some of the things that are unfolding in the country uh, today. Let me start in Hyde Park, New York. That's the uh, Hudson Valley area. Andrew, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Drew. Thanks so much for a great show. And I just want to remind everybody that uh, Catholics, traditional Catholics, were were focused on by the DOJ. There was a whole hearing on it and all That's the rest. True. And and to just to, to say to Joe, well, most respectfully, you know, God bless him. You know, we as Catholics should really look at political parties as tools right. to get us towards uh, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. I mean, if if one forget about teams, forget about oh, I'm identifying as this one or that one. When when a friend, um, an institution, a corporation goes off the rails, and we see them going off the rails, and promotes help. Uh, uh, killing an unborn baby in the womb as health care, you know, wh what are, what are no, uh, regular people supposed to do with that? You know, right. if you believe in God and Jesus Christ yeah. and and that children are the greatest in the kingdom, 
you can't be for that. So I understand, you know, we, we, we like to identify ourselves as Republicans, Democrats. Throw that all away. Is this, is this political party um, on the right track? And i just all respectful to the, the last caller about, you know, what you guys talk about it. You guys talk about the truth, and sometimes the truth is difficult. Yeah. But, you know, from my standpoint, I really appreciate it, Drew, and thank you very much. Well, thank you. My fellow brother here, my namesake, Andrew. (laughs) So good to have you here, Uh, and I appreciate the words of support. This is a conversation that's going to be coming up uh, in the days ahead a lot more, Um, I'm sure. Uh, People are passionate about politics, you know, very passionate about it. And sometimes I think we do ourselves a spiritual disservice because we put our faith in the back seat, right? We look at things like economy. We take a look at other issues that are um, the war, whatever it may be. And they, they all have meaning. They all have bearing. They all have weight. But um, we can't leave our faith in the back seat. And we're going to stand before God one day. And our, every action we've taken, every second that God has allowed us, right? And time's a fleeting commodity. It's a great gift. Uh, we're going to have to account for and when we go into a, a voting booth and we advance a culture of death, when we vote for candidates that 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 uh, really offend God through their policy, I'm not saying both neither of these candidates are saints, right? But I think we have to be able to use the gifts that we have, like our intellect, right, and our freedoms, and try to build a culture of life, try to build a culture of uh, of good, and you know we'll reap what we sow. And I, you know, we'll talk politics. We'll talk about how to form the conscience. There's non-negotiables that are out there. You know, what do you do if two candidates both support abortion? There's a lot of these issues that I'll get into in the days ahead and break it down. But I'm I'm grateful, Andrew, for your support. And I think we're going to see more persecution. I think we're going to see more uh, of these these radical policies. Uh, And it's because we're in a spiritual battle. And behind all this really is is the evil one. And uh, how do we disengage him? I think through prayer, through fasting, by raising our children with good moral values, by living our faith, by being a witness to others. I think of the early church, you know, and they went into a very pagan culture. I mean, far worse probably than even ours is today. And uh, they converted the world, right? We are called to do the same thing. And I'm grateful to have a small opportunity here at Relevant Radio to, uh, to be a voice for that, right? To play a small role in that. I'm grateful for your support of it as well. Uh, Walter is in uh, Washington, the state of Washington, Graham, Washington. Hi, Walter. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for uh, accepting my call. Uh, I was calling to uh, ask you about Robert F. Kennedy. I, I heard him on a talk show the other night, and it was like a, a brand new breath of fresh air. Oh. Uh, I mean, he was talking about issues about the earth and uh things that seemed of relevance and not worthless projects that politicians get into and, and wasteful uh, ignorance that uh, they get into and stay with. And yeah. I was just wondering, uh, your your screener said that you guys have talked about him before, and I, I he's on the independent ticket, yep. and uh, gosh, I've never voted, and I'd in 65 years, and I'm, I'm tempted to vote for someone like that. He yeah. really uh, opened... Uh, a door that I didn't know existed. He's definitely a third party candidate. Um, you know, his position on vaccines and a lot of other issues differ from the current administration. Have you noticed he is not getting any media attention at all, right? I mean, it's, it's predominantly broken down these two parties. His position on life is, is terrible though. Robert F. Kennedy's is, um, 
But again, this it all goes back to what we're talking about here, and I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but as you take a look at these candidates, and you may say, oh, I can never vote for Trump. I can never vote for Joe Biden. No, I get that. Okay, well, what are your options? You can write in a candidate. You can vote third party. You can certainly do that. But where do these candidates stand on those issues, and, and what is the likelihood that a third-party candidate will get elected? There's other third-party candidates in addition to RFK. Uh, that are running as well. Um, so we'll talk more about it in the days ahead. I'll, I'll take a look at third-party candidates and whether or not we should move away from a two-party system, maybe to a three, and what a third-party candidate, if it was pretty, you know, for, for example, Joe Manchin, what if he went and ran third-party? Who would he hurt the most? Would he draw from Democrats or would he draw from from Republicans and, and from Donald Trump? There's a lot we can talk about. Walter, thank you, though. I appreciate it. Sandy is in Chicago. Sandy, good afternoon. Hey, Drew, can you hear me? I can. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, you know, I, I've called several times, particularly when Dr. Kanger is on. I love your radio station. I listen to you every day. Thanks. And I noticed that I remember one of the debates before he, she hates Trump. Actually, was very passionate. She Hey, Sandy, I'll tell you what, I hate to I hate to interrupt you, but your signal's really breaking up. I don't know where you are right now, but I'll, I'll give you just, I'll, Try it one more time. If it's bad, we'll have to, to have you call back another time, okay? So go ahead. I, I, think, I, th I think that it's mostly men who always call, who dislike Trump, and I've more women in all the serious issues. I think there's some kind of a, like a masculine issue. Sandy, I'm sorry. I really wish I could have heard your comments, um, but it's really bad. I, I, according to my call screener, he was saying um, that most of these candidates are calling it hate. They hate Trump. Patrick, what was he saying again? If you could tell me in my headset, I'd appreciate it. The men who call in that don't like Trump um, have some sort of masculine issue. Is that what you're saying? Interesting. I'd like, to, I'd like to hear the comment. I'm sorry, Sandy. The signal was bad. It was really, really difficult to get through. But we'll talk more about it um, very quickly. And and I can go back to the phones in a minute. I, I just want to remind you, today is uh, the anniversary of, the, of, of Roe v. Wade. And I don't know how much you recall um, the battle... <laughs> That raged for so long over uh, over that it has fallen right and um, the USCCB. I was saying to Maggie before I came on here because we're going to pray the chaplet in a minute has called this a day of prayer and fasting. Now we prayed and fasted on Friday, right? But according to the uh, general instruction of the Roman Missal, that's the Germ number three seventy three, and you can look this up. The USCCB says this, that that January twenty second is a particular day of prayer and penance. It's called the Day of Prayer for the Legal Protection of Unborn Children. And in all dioceses of the United States, January 22nd or the 23rd, when January 22nd falls on a Sunday, shall be observed as a particular day of prayer for the full restoration of the legal guarantee of the right to life penance for violations to the dignity of the human person committed through abortion. Let's pray when we come back. We'll do that. I know I fasted on Friday. It's not too late. If you didn't do that, why not join us, right, for this prayer? Maybe make one small sacrifice so we as a nation can get this issue right.